Hello, friends, ladies, gentlemen, and everything in between. My name is Tom Hodkinson, and welcome to yet another edition of The Best of Worst of British, a podcast all about the most terrible films that have ever come from these British Isles. I am your host for this episode, and I have two cohorts along with me for the ride. Who do I have in alphabetical order? Surnames or front... Ah, uh, surnames. Bell. Uh, oh, Michael, um, 34 years old currently, unless this goes out after July. Yeah, I don't like films. Mullen, Lorcan, 37 years old. Really should know better by now. Okay, well, allow me to delve into uh, this episode's film. So just up top, I thought you two would enjoy this. It's quite long-winded, it's <laughs> slow. It looks into emotions, and it's like a different subject matter that's not often in films. I, I, was, I was bored, but I, just thought, I thought you two would really like it. Well, Tom... Because of those reasons. Explain what it is we're talking about, after that wonderful preamble. Well, <laughs> if I must, uh, we're talking about uh, a simply wonderful little film from the BBC Films Archive known as The Mother. It's us. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, you got here, okay? You made you nice and early. How long you stay? We don't know yet, dear. We haven't decided. You're the thing I'm most proud of. My family. To us all. Yeah. Oh, nice. She's starting to get on my nerves, actually. We'll be like that one day. No one wanting us. Seeing about that we. We'll have lunch, shall we? Shall we? Yeah. I'm not ready for old age. I'm frightened. Imagine people getting less frightened as they get older. I like being with you so much. It's like we've got a rebel on our hands. No! Oh. <laughs> oh, you're right. Hi! Hello, girl. <laughs> Oh, I can't breathe. What would happen if you did breathe? Would you come to the spare room with me? To see, she wouldn't. She wouldn't do this. She wouldn't do this. Would she? Do you love me? Of course, I love you. You're my daughter. Oh, you must be so pleased about Darren and me, then. I think I'm burning up. I think you should go home. How oh, did you become so cold? How did you become so hot? So this is a film you've been talking about us doing for a while. It's yeah. been your pet project. Yeah. I've been campaigning hard on this one. Yeah, I was a little reluctant at first. I was, I've was i been aware of the film's existence, but I also was aware that it was pretty highly critically acclaimed. This is by far the most highly rated film we've covered on Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes. I'd say like, I think it's this and Cashback, and that's only yeah. because arty wankers don't know what's good. This is definitely the most artsy and wankiest thing we've done since cashback i'll yeah. agree with you there yeah so um, that's why michael thinks it's right up our alley yeah quite yeah. the opposite <laughs> so what is it that particularly bothers you about that tom 
basically, the, the story goes that not long after I met my partner, Robin, I started hanging out with her flatmates and her friends. And the second I mentioned I do a podcast on bad British films with you guys, her flatmate, Sarah, who's a wonderful artist, by the way, we'll, we'll, we'll plug her at the end of the episode. Um, Did she say, you're that Tom Hodkinson? Yeah. <laughs> no, she suddenly... <laughs> oh, that Tom Hodkinson of the Kamikaze Club. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> no, no. Uh, she basically said, you have to see What's this. What's Lorcan really like? <laughs> <laughs> Which one's cuter? <laughs> um, she basically said to me, you have to see this film. And after a lot of, like, farting around, we all sat down and watched it. And I... I was in bits. We 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 had a great time watching a film that we all knew was kind of terrible. It was one of those communal things, and I thought I'd subject it on to you guys as well. To watch alone, on our own, in silence. Yeah. Oh, it was great to watch with mates. You, you watch it on your own. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, <laughs> COVID, right? So, um... How can I best describe the mother? It's a a melodrama. Would you say that's fair? It's a melodrama based in two thousand three about a woman who becomes a widow and then discovers herself sexually and spiritually and blah. And she's got terrible fucking children, and everyone in it is an absolute cuntbag. Yeah, because it's they're from London, Tom. That's why. I'm curious with the whole description of melodrama. I'm wondering though, is it just Drama with bad acting is what we call a melodrama. Because melodrama is meant to be a genre onto itself with heightened emotions and heightened exaggerated story. I mean, I got, I definitely got heightened emotions from the daughter in the film. I don't know about anything else. The daughter is insufferable. I agree <laughs> with you there. Well, it was fine until the last bit when everyone just started screaming for 20 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Um... Other than that, it was relatively... But how do we get to the screaming? Ah, well, allow me to explain. So, um... Let me weave a tale. <laughs> I'm not, no, I'm not listening to Listen it Listen close and hear my tale of woe, dear children. Um, so basically the film will open up... At, it will open up because you're going to watch it. The film opens up... It's not the only thing that opens up. Uh, we'll get to that. Hold your horses. So the film basically opens up showing this woman who is just just seems to be awake all the time. And we get the first terrible shot right off the bat of uh, the camera uh, looking into the bedroom mirror, which is showing the reflection of our main character, the mother, played by Anne Reed, staring at the clock. I hate shots like that so much. If they've got no fucking explanation, they don't tell anything of the story any differently. It's just a woman looking at a clock in a mirror. But Tom, it's a metaphor for time passing by. It's a metaphor for boring shit. Well, that too. It can be both things. Alright, you picked it. It's called called double meanings, Tom. (laughs) It's called duality. I'm here for the singular meanings and you know it. Um... Eventually, she and her husband prepare themselves for a trip. They end up going into London. Where the terrible people are. And find themselves uh, going through Euston. Now, there's a, a bit of foreshadowing here. In that the old man keeps slowing down and is struggling a lot. And who knows, that that may 
may foreshadow some unfortunate circumstances. He didn't touch his arm, though. That's always the giveaway in any film. <laughs> oh, he... Like, or cough into, a, or in cough into a handkerchief. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Can I quickly say, though, before we get back back to it, I've never understood why no one shits all over how awful Euston Station is. It's a hideous place. It's like, horrible. It's, it's basically, the, it's like basically it. the old Birmingham New Street Station, but bigger. Oh, God, it is. It yeah, really is. If I'm there, it means I'm leaving London. <laughs> or, or just arriving. <laughs> Or just arriving. <laughs> no, I, I like Euston. I've, I've I've got no issues with it at all. I've had got some nice memories there. London Euston is the only place I've seen a pigeon dragging another dead pigeon. <laughs> it's it's like it's like the death of enjoyment. What was it dragging it to? They used to have a good bagel shop though, around the corner. So Did they? I've never I've never done no. a London bagel. Where was it dragging the yeah. pigeon to? Was it like trying to? The bagel <laughs> shop, it was really tasty. Was it trying to make a point? Like, leaving it outside another pigeon that's pissed it off's house? Is there, like, a pigeon gang war going on? I, You know what? I didn't ask it its business. I just let it be. It's the London way. Uh, eventually, after a lot of faffing, because they're old, don't you know, uh, the mother and the father uh, find their way to their son's house in what apparently... Is Notting Hill, but isn't Notting Hill. Because as the door opens, there's this horrible green screen effect to make it look like a Notting Hill residence. I don't remember and, that. Oh, or you can see it. If you look back, you'll see it. And it is, it's quite jarring for a film that throughout focuses on having as much natural lighting as possible as being kind of realistic and in the moment. Right, so, so you're annoyed that... Um... A, a, in a house in the film isn't in a place Hang that on is, a minute, this is, is saying it's This wrong. is great yarn! Because... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a pedant. Because I've got a lot... Because, Tom, if you're, if you're annoyed about that, I've got a lot of other things to tell you about it's, films. It's <laughs> just the fact of... For the rest of the film, there's nothing even remotely digitalised or anything like that. They, they just put this one green screen in for... What was kind of an unnecessary reason. I, I How don't can know, I... I just find yeah, because it was like... It's probably filmed in like 2000. They just had it there because it was new technology. I'll just have it. What for? I don't know. <laughs> How can it. I trust anything on this documentary now? Yeah. <laughs> so in the house, that isn't in Notting Hill. They meet, uh, the, the, obviously they meet the, the, the daughter-in-law. Eventually the son comes in. Their grandparents meet the grandkids for what seems to be the first time because they don't recognize the grandparents. And those grandkids are massive pricks as well. Like the second, yes, they're from London. The second, the second yeah. the grandparents come through the door. Their first question is, "Do they have presents, and who are they?" I mean, I won't deny when I I remember when I was a kid hearing that any yeah, of my uncles fair. or aunts or anyone in my family had gone on holiday. When I heard they came back, I'm like, I'm not like, oh, I'm glad they had a safe journey. It's like they get me something. <laughs> yeah. I don't care. Yeah, you see, you see them come through the door. That's a fiver. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's not my birthday, but now's the time to give me a ten pound note. Come on, cough up. <laughs> I have earned this. See, I was alright because growing up uh, when I was a wee lad, uh, because I grew up in in Suffolk, um, and the rest of the family were miles away, so we never really saw the rest of the family. But so when we did, that's a good cash day. You know, giving you were from Suffolk, wasn't your <laughs> Maybe family once or twice a year? That's a that's Give... a good. That's a good. That's a tenner. Giving you were from Suffolk, wasn't the rest of the family the family? <laughs> hey. 
Hello, no, Auntie Nan. No, no, it wasn't. There was. It was just us. It was just. It was just us. So. Hello, cousin, Anywho, uncle. Enough of that stereotype, please. <laughs> please, Bab. <laughs> one of the. Uh, big brummy person. One of the people that they meet as well is none other than future Mr. James Bond, Daniel Craig. Don't you know? He's like, busy working on the conservatory, and he's he's got full beard as well. That was quite shocking that, that before he was Bond, he was already going grey in the beard. That was a surprise. Yeah. That happens. That happens. I've got so much white in my beard at the moment, it's horrible. But like, it doesn't. you can't see it unless you're going in uh, closely. So it's, uh, yeah, horrible. It can be quite... It can be weirdly inconsistent, the grey hair, can't it? Like, I got, went grey at the temples when I was about... Uh, 31, 32, and I haven't gone any any oh, really? grayer, but it stayed there. Because I grow my hair out long, when I pull it back, it, I get kind of a Doctor Strange vibe going. Um, I've I've definitely got some salt coming in on Through the Pepper. It's it's <laughs> uh, it's it's looking interesting. I mean, my policy is it's better that it's grey than it's not there. You know, no offense, Mike. Cheers, mate. <laughs> <laughs> no, every offense, Mike. Take it, take it as offense. Well, I've got I've got two areas in my beard that just uh, yeah, it's just there's there's some white coming through there. It's like oh no, <laughs> come on! I've, I've I've shaved my head. Come on! I've 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 done my part of it. Don't let me have a grey beard as well. You know? One of my oh, friends, you give me a you give me a bad hand. Go on, here, Michael. You know? Embrace the heavy metal bassist you shall become. <laughs> um, my uh, one of my friends has got a proper like salt and pepper beard and he does do the the just for men thing i was always oh, quite no. freaking out a little bit the the dyed beard i, I mean yeah if it, you don't it, notice it you don't notice it but you know when you know it's there if you know the person should be gray and then you see that it freaks you out you know the noel edmonds uncanny valley thing the hulk hogan <laughs> sort of yeah, yeah. yeah that, was always, that always made me laugh. NWO Hogan. NWO Hulk Hogan. literally looks like he's just sprayed it on right before he's gone out into the ring. I'm always amazed at the commitment pro wrestlers have, because they have to carry... It's not like that's a... Well, maybe that beard was a bit of a... I don't know, that might have been a wig. Like, facial hair affectation. But things like, you know, the Road Warriors, the you know, the Legion of Doom, they had to walk around with their reverse mohawks. And, uh... and that's why the good lord invented hats. <laughs> how many hats do you own now Mike? well this is the thing no no generally I, I would, i've never been a hat person like i used to wear a beanie a lot pre going bald when i had a full head of hair which is stupid <laughs> you weren't giving it the sun rays it required uh but yeah, i used to i used to wear a beanie because i thought i looked quite good in it but then last year i was going for a walk and i was like why is my head really hot <laughs> <laughs> and it's like because I, I started properly shaving my head last year, and I was like, "Oh, okay, yeah, my head's really hot. I don't get this. It's a sunny day, whatever." And then the next day, I was like, "I had this massive, massive burn in my head." It was like, "Oh, for God's sake!" And so I had to like dunk my head in after sun. Yeah, so now I wear caps because what you only have to burn your face, your scalp once, you know. So anyway, film. <clears throat> uh, eventually, the the son comes back to his house. Uh, briefly says hello to his mum and dad before suddenly running away again, and also managing to get in a game of gay chicken with Daniel Craig. And then the the grandparents decide to, you know, talk to Daniel Craig's character. It turns out the granddad is called Toots. I'm going to say that again because I thought it was interesting. The old man's called Toots. It sounds like a character from the Beano. 
I mean, it's not his Christian... <laughs> like one of the Bash Street kids. One of the Bash Street kids, yeah. Toots. Yeah, it's not his Christian name. <laughs> well, I baptise the Toots. <laughs> but even as a nickname, it's kind of bizarre. Hello, I'm Toots. What? Hello, I'm Toots. Why are you called Toots? I don't really know. You can change that. Yeah, but I'm called Toots. You, I'm sad. Toots, yes, Toots is uh, talking with Daniel Craig. They're talking cricket, aren't they? The mother, yeah, they're discussing cricket with, you know, two by fours. And the mother's just out in the garden looking at nothing. We cut to the grandparents and the family walking through London again. And again, the granddad is slowing down because foreshadowing. He is on the old side, to be fair. He's even he's like seems noticeably older than than his wife as well. He was um he was the like in the Night's Watch in the game in Game of Thrones. Yes, the, he's the, the old, Grand old, Maester. Yeah, yeah, would be would, was a Targaryen. We found out spoilers for Game of Thrones. Oh yes, so he was. Yeah, um, Peter Vaughn, really quite a good actor. Really, I've seen him in a couple of things, but yeah. It's always amazing when you see these actors that, especially if they, you know, our age, you you just know them for old people roles, and they're old people for such a long time. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, they they get some work from it, don't they? I think what happens is so so many of the the really successful ones get to retire at that age. So if you stick it out long enough, you might finally start getting some juicy roles. Anyway, um, they eventually find their way to the daughter's house, which is. Uh, very much unlike the the son's house, which is neat and pristine. The daughter's house is very messy, and you can see she's she's a single mum, but she's trying hard. And that's all anyone can talk about is how she doesn't have a man in her life because they're all terrible, terrible people. I keep forgetting that she's a mum, and I think she forgets. And I think the <laughs> film forgets. <laughs> yeah, it does seem to like be very sort of. Oh look, there's there's that little boy you had. Do you remember him? No, not really. Yeah, he's. I keep I keep forgetting that he's not my lodger. I keep keep hassling him for rent. <laughs> and then he says, "And as, he as I got s- me off at school." <laughs> as I said, like the film sort of focuses on having as much natural lighting as possible. So when we cut to a candlelit dinner, it does make a couple of the older characters look like fucking gargoyles. <laughs> And it's, it's I know Daniel not... Craig's not the most handsome of Bonds, but you know. <laughs> and then after they've had a nice celebration and they've had a meaningful moment, cut to the bedroom, and the old man is feeling unwell and he needs to he needs to go downstairs, and then we get the clutching of the arm, and he's dead. <laughs> so I think within the first ten fifteen minutes, he's he's gone. Um, Anne Reed's character is now a, a widow. We have a few lingering shots on the corpse in a hospital bed. So that was a nice little visit to London. <laughs> that London will do that to you, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's I'm surprised it just didn't get like stabbed up or something. Um, so yeah, I, I loved I loved how when they're going back to the uh, the the parents' home. And uh, Anne Reed's character is getting driven back, and she's just slumped in the car, and her head's pressed against the car window, and she's just vaguely looking at nothing again. There's a, there's a lot in this film of Anne Reed just looking at nothing because her life is empty. Even I picked that one up. 
But it's oh my just... god, Michael got the metaphor. <laughs> we need to get a prize around to his house. Hang on, hang on. Logan, did you get the banner? I will find the banner. Unfurl the banner. <laughs> We've had this for three years and now I can't find the bloody... <laughs> I can't find the cannon that I mean, you say this the first note I took was from 34 minutes in so I'm still not paying attention (laughs) you know I said because I said I watched the first half of it and then we had to postpone it and I was Mm. like I'll I'll, I'll do a Michael rewatch and watch the first half again at like 1.5 speed yeah good boy and I'll take notes didn't do that just just trusted that I remembered it and for the most part I do yeah Um, well that's because there's nothing to remember yeah, it's it's a short film masquerading as a feature. Yeah. It really it's it is stretched out way like, too like long. I, I know you, I know you'll get there eventually, but like I said, my first note in was 34, 34 minutes, and I've quoted the dialogue. Uh, someone wrote this. I worked in a shoe shop. Well, everyone needs shoes. I don't see many people without them. Do something. Do something. Anything. Film. Anything. This is thirty-four minutes. In. Like the dad, the the dad died early doors. I was right, right. Okay, let's get into this. But um, <laughs> no, nothing, nothing. You mentioned you mentioned the shoes shop though, because shoes are a motif that keep cropping up to symbolise death. Because every time that uh, the mother looks at a pair of the old man's shoes, she just becomes depressed. Like, oh look. There's his slippers in the hallway waiting yeah, for him. Yeah, because a husband... They unpack his bags and his... The husband of, like, 40 years or so is not going to wear shoes anymore. He's also not going to wear shirts and underpants. It doesn't make any fucking difference. Yeah, give it to well, the charity shop, you yeah. selfish woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fucking holding on to these things. But other people could use those shoes. I wonder if I've bought any dead person's clothes. More than likely. And you know what? Why not? Keep things I... recycling. We don't need new shit all the time. <laughs> I love it as well when the mother's grieving in her own house and the son takes a business call in the middle of the grieving. Yeah, he's from London. Ugh. <laughs> You're not getting this, are I you? Just... Alright, this is what London this is what London doesn't like. <laughs> it's a recurring motif, Mike <laughs> Tom. <laughs> Londoners are assholes. <laughs> Especially Londoners with houses that big. And Londoners with flats that small. They're equal sized <laughs> assholes. That's the thing I like about London. Equal opportunities to be a gimp. <laughs> I'm just thinking now for a, a punchline now for that uh, buying clothes at a, at a charity shop of dead people. Oh my god. I've never had trousers that fit my waist size so much. Yes, these are all come from a collection of heart attack victims. Oh man. (laughs) What's your returns policy? They don't. We don't need one. We don't need one. What's your returns policy? Oh, they'll be back within a few weeks. Trust me, you're prime. Oh, what, this cursed... Can I at least get a rental rate then? Oh, <laughs> renting trousers. Oh, I can't think of any more scummy. <laughs> to be fair, I did that for. Um, I mean, I rented a tuxedo for for like a leavers thing, and then was violently ill in it. Yeah, that's why you so. don't rent fucking clothes because everyone's been sick or something. No, to be fair, to be fair, where, how many times in your lifetime are you going to need a tuxedo? I don't. I've got suits. I'd a square suit instead. Uh, uh, there's never a, there's never a need for a tuxedo. T- tuxedos are just for showing off. 
pointlessly showing That's off. That's why you're not invited to Monte Carlo. Good. Don't want to go. Would you rent a bow tie then? That's that's as far as tuxedo rentals you guys do. So the mother ends up back at uh, the son's house because she can't bear to be at the house that she lives Understandably. in. Understandably. Um, Where does she live? They don't specify. Up north. Yeah, it's yeah to some unspecified place, relatively northern. I think is the way they've gone about it. Yeah, but um, to Londoners, that's like what? Yeah. And then she, uh, there was a phrase used as well saying, why shouldn't I be difficult? Because it drags the story down. I, don't know. <laughs> I think it, it, I mean, this isn't a film, but it'd be less of a film if it was just a, a mother loses her husband and then nothing else happens. She just stays, stays indoors. <laughs> That's less of a film than this is. How many of the films that we've watched have you actually classified as a film, Michael? Uh, <laughs> I think that says a lot about you. That isn't two. a film. It's not a film, is it, said Michael? I think that says a lot about you two choosing the films. Pick a better film. <laughs> you know when we started this out, we were on about, oh, maybe we can get some merch made with some of our catchphrases. If I never said that. Michael's one should just be, it's not a film, is it? Just on a t-shirt. It's consistent. <laughs> this is not a film. I mean, it would be true. This is a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a film. It's no virtual. Se- it's no virtual sexuality. You know that's you know that Scroobius Pip song, the Beatles. Yeah, just a bad yeah. Nevada. Just a bad. <laughs> For you, it'd be like Fargo, not a film. Venom, not a film. <laughs> Citizen Kane. Not, not a, a film. film. Yeah, but you know, it's a wonderful life. Not a film. Yeah, but in a couple of episodes' time, we're doing uh, Mrs. Brown's Boys, the film. So you know, if we've got a proper film there, <laughs> that's a movie, not a film. Michael. It's got the film name in exactly, the title. So it it's must in, be a it's film. The film. <laughs> you want to take that to the trade's description act after you've watched it, Your Honor? This is not a film. Yeah, basically, repeat too soon by doing virtual sexuality in the first series. <laughs> oh God, you and virtual sexuality. We peaked. Let go of we that. Peaked too we soon. moved on. <laughs> you peaked too soon. We're going to have to do an event for Virtual Sexuality's 25th anniversary in 2024. We won't be going by then. You remember the year. <laughs> we won't still but be Virtual going. Sexuality will remain in the public conscience <laughs> long before all of us are gone. <laughs> long after all of us are gone, even. <laughs> Oh. Our clothes will be in that charity shop by 2024. <laughs> <laughs> and multiple DVD copies of virtual sexuality. <laughs> so, <laughs> the mother goes out for a walk, and in the days she forgive, completely forgets where she is because London. Uh, she eventually finds herself at a daughter's place instead and agrees to stay there and help look after. Um, Help look after the the son. Yeah, that was the that was the that was the daughter as well. You can help me look after the um. Uh, oh God, what's the, he called? The, the, the short son? person. That's it. That's it. He's. I was he's, looking. He's, I, I was looking. He's at not the as sky. big as the cabinets. <laughs> what what is it? It runs around a lot. I stick food in it, but it's not a bin. What is it? <laughs> or an oven. <laughs> Oh man! So in the night, she hears her daughter shagging and spies on her like a fucking pervert. To be fair, she couldn't not. The noise she was making, go. You could have just easily just like you couldn't gone into the bathroom or anything. You couldn't sleep through that. That's this is why I don't have housemates. <laughs> or sex. Or sex. Yeah. Or sex. <laughs> 
I don't want to hear it. They don't want to be involved. We're just better leaving the whole thing out. It's the perfect scenario for me. I've never had good sex that involved people making noise. (laughs) Ah, you're all about that silent sex, aren't you? Yeah. (laughs) 1920s style. Thank you, yes. Some good god... We call it chaplaining. Some good old-fashioned god-fearing sex. I'm now imagining silent movie sex with the music, the piano. Like, what was the twenties? Oh no, I have a piano. What was the 1920s equivalent of bow now, bow, bow? No, don't, don't get me wrong. Ding, 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 ding. Look, and I've got a, I've got a fully trained pianist in there when I'm doing it, so they can play away on the piano. I beg your pardon. You have a fully trained what now, sir? How dare you? <laughs> They're in the corner on the piano while we're, while we're going at it, but uh, yeah. It sounds like Daniel Craig certainly got a fully trained pianist in at his disposal. Oh yeah, because he's been banging the daughter. So it turns out that Daniel Craig has been uh, is not only best friends with the son, he's been doing the uh, conservatory, he's also having sex with the daughter. He's very in with this family. When we talk about a handyman, he is in more ways than one. Oh my god, we'll get to that. <laughs> um, anyway, they have a bit of a Barney, and the mother disapproves of the clearly toxic pairing. Uh, going so far as to call him a blasted brute, which is, I think... That's a that's a very middle class, you know. Oh, oh, it's it's it, it cuts like a knife. That's the middle class version. It turns out the daughter's also been going to see a therapist when we get told this by you know the son, um, <laughs> which leads to the phrase: "Is there something wrong with you?" Yes, there is. Fucking wonderful. Really, really top notch writing. The daughter seems to be a one second very happy to have a mother in the house. Very sort of, hi, it's lovely you're here, it's wonderful, you're really great with my um, short thing. But at the, same, <laughs> at the same time, everything that's wrong with me, I blame you. It's very jarring. She's very mercurial. It's it's horrible. It's like one minute, oh, thank you for being here. Also, fuck you, I'm ruined and it's all your fault. And there's a lot of sort of weird shots, such as the, the mother being sat on the sofa... And the light being fully on her, acting like a spotlight because you know art is dead. Symbolism is a lie, and truth is not beautiful. And it just—it feels like one minute the daughter's trying to be really nice, lovely, and open. The next, she's just being a terribly needy shit. Which you know, we're complex people with a range of emotions, but the swing from those ranges is far too quick and far too frequent. It is weird as fuck to watch. Like, one minute go, oh, thank you for being here. Then all of a sudden, why didn't you ever hug me? Eventually, the the daughter asks, now she's hanging out with Daniel Craig's character more, to get some uh, some intel. How how does he feel about me? What does he think? And this is where we get discussion of everybody needs shoes. I mean, they're not wrong. There are certain industries that will always do well. Shoes is one of them. Toilet roll. Toilet roll. I mean, it's a horrible thing to say, but funeral companies, yep. they'll always... I mean, you know how, do you, how do you rate that, like, uh, your annual AGM or something? We've had a great year, lads. <laughs> <laughs> what do you, what do you say? Talking. Boys, it's been a wonderful year for funerals. <laughs> Oak is at an all-time high, and low rates are at an absolute low. Let's fucking We've... crotch it. <laughs> We reached a deal with the local bouquet people. <laughs> you mean florists? Oh, all right, you with your fancy words. Okay, so as the film goes on, the mother spends more time with Daniel Craig's character and develops some <clears throat> yearnings. And 
it eventually gets to uh, serving him croissants uh, when he's topless. Topless croissants. Mm -hmm. There's a niche market for everything, isn't there? Well, it's that London. They've got to have something. And I mean, they had cat cafes, so that was inevitable. Um, uh, So, yeah, when they're having a discussion about uh, the mother's daughter, she literally says the phrase, they have this little uh, exchange where she goes, do you really believe in her then? Good luck to her and whatever she wants to do. That's fucking cold. It's a cold family, (laughs) it has to be said. All the characters are fucking terrible people. And fucking terrible people as well. Yeah, I didn't know who I was supposed to get behind or or like in any of this. Well, you don't have to like people in a film, but you have to be interested in what happens to them. I couldn't give any less of a shit about any of them. That's the problem. Uh, Anyway, so as a a return, Daniel Craig takes her out for lunch and they have a romantic walk around. um, I mean, she is a widow. It's a bit weird, right? Anyway, hey, there are there are friends of ours that do that for for shits and giggles. I mean, so, I've, you know, I've, I've uh, had you know, occasional walks around a graveyard, but I wouldn't take a romantic partner around there. It's, it's bloody bizarre. To be fair, they don't think of themselves as romantic partners, Ooh, or do they? Because then, literally, she actually literally falls for him, and they have a they have a little bit of a kiss, a little, little, little cheeky smooch, yeah. a little. Uh, They'll, uh, they'll peck. Yeah, we get it. I don't know where I'm going with we this. We get it. You know, the kiss. Yeah. <laughs> you even see in the character, she's wearing bolder colours now to show her newfound freedom and vitality instead of just the plain pastels that she was wearing at the beginning of the film. And also, it's at this point where the daughter then announces that she's found someone in mind for the mother at her writing class. And I'm the only one. I, I may have been the only one thinking this, but Toots is barely cold in the fucking ground. Yeah, yes, that was too that big. was weird. Like the implication seems to be that she hasn't gone home. Like this is still the London trip. You know? Yeah. Look, I bought the return ticket for a specific date, and I'm not going. <laughs> <laughs> it would cost me another five pound forty to change the dates. I'm not doing it. It will take the largest pigeon dragging my corpse to go to Euston Station any earlier than I have to. We cut to the writing class and she meets the prospect, a, a, quite a, a, a well-meaning gentleman called Bruce in a boring turtleneck. I can't help but feel like Bruce is future me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh we'll, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, and basically, she uh, the mother's then advised to to do a bit of a writing exercise, and she basically writes about how she hated her children in front of her daughter. Where do you get your crazy ideas from? <laughs> <laughs> she spends a bit of time in the art gallery looking at naked bodies because symbolism. As the story goes on, and as she's finding herself more revitalized, the mother started smoking now. I mean, if you're going to take it off. <laughs> Cigarettes. You might as well. In the mouth. Awful. Were either of you guys, you guys smoking? Yeah. I've got to think, Michael. <laughs> I'm guessing you had, your, you had your run. I I never got into it. No, neither did I. Because my stepdad smoked all the time, so I was just like, oh, he's already given me it. Second hand. <laughs> I was just too much of a nerd to be in those circles when I was a kid, so I never got into it. 
Oh, King's Bav. How long did you go for, Mike? Oh, not very long. Just pathetic, then pathetically nah. late as well. So it was like, it wasn't in my teens. It was uh, yeah, later. So it was in my 20s. Oh, wow. Yeah. Sometimes I wonder if I would have had a more of a fun social life if I'd done more drinking and smoking and all that, mm. you know? Because I am reminded of Martin Amos's line about the sort of lifestyle that he's led. And he says, you know, they say that if you gave up all the booze and the cigarettes, you'd add another 10 years to your life. But guess which 10 years they are? <laughs> yeah, no, um, yeah, I was just living with people who smoked, so it was like, oh, yeah, okay, you know. <laughs> no, it's awful, it's awful, absolutely awful, never do it. Yes, don't smoke, kids. And if you do, have fine Cuban cigars. Do smoke over vaping because vapors are the worst people in the world. Yeah. And now I'm a teetotal vegan, so you know. <laughs> Live the dream, kids. Live that dream. Yeah. If you, before we all turn into our thirties and have to do that, then fuck it. <laughs> do what you. Can. <laughs> Anywho, uh, things are really starting to hot up in the mother, and I meant both the film and the woman. She reveals that she had an affair, so, you know, horrific, and uh, then very slowly invites Daniel Craig to her bedroom to fuck, or something, I don't know. And they eventually go upstairs, and... Here's the thing, if you're going to have an illicit affair with someone who's married but also shagging your daughter, why would you leave the door open? Yeah, that suggests tempting fate, I will say that much. I, I just found it quite jarring, you know? Like, the, the mother should at least go, you know what, in hindsight, I brought this on myself. <laughs> Although, what what turns out to be the smoking gun, I don't think is admissible evidence. <laughs> but we'll get to that. Yeah. But yeah, this is where we see... um. James Bond, Grandfinger. Oh, God. Grandfinger. <laughs> His hand is under the sheets on her vatch. A spider's vatch. Oh, now come on. Come on. That was the one thing I don't want us to descend into here. I didn't want us to go into like... Old ladies having sexual urges. No, that's perfectly fine. That's perfectly an acceptable thing to do. As long as it's not Gene from Dinner Ladies doing it. I'm fine with that. (laughs) And some of the phrases that came out during the sexual acts, can I do something to you? Please don't. (laughs) I want to watch Dinner Ladies again. I can't if you do this. Are there any uh, are there any grands or older ladies in popular culture that you've thought, yeah, if if invited, I wouldn't necessarily. The go to is Helen Miller. Helen Mirren. Yeah, isn't that's it? the obvious one. That's the obvious one. Um, uh, if you're a bit more artsy fartsy, then Isabelle Huppert. That would be a good one. I've always thought Diane Keaton still has a bit of a, uh, a sparkle to her. Mm. Um. I don't know if she yet classifies as... I think at this point she does. Mary Steenburgen. Okay. Isn't Nigella pushing 60? She is, you know. I mean, at least one of the kids is now going to be growing up. So, possibly. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of really old, glamorous women. And it's becoming more... Oh, God, I had to say this. No, we're getting... Tom, we're getting older. That's the issue. Oh, God, yeah, that's yeah. The thing. I do wonder that, like, as you get older, do you become more attracted to those, like, 
you know, when I was when I was a teenager, the notion of fancying a woman in her forties yeah, was like what? But say, what? But say someone I don't know, film, telly, whatever that you fancied when you were a teenager. They were say they were fifteen yeah, years yeah. older than you. They're still fifteen years older than you. Yeah, you know, they're they're in yeah. their fifties yeah, yeah. now. You know. I, yeah. I tell you what, I I don't know how old she is, but uh, Nicholas Sarkozy's wife, Carla Brunei. Yeah, yeah, just a stunningly, wonderfully beautiful woman. But and it's but it is also the classic thing of it. It's never as much of a problem the other way around. Like I think the age gap between Daniel Craig and Anne Reed is about thirty years, and that is literally the age. I think it's basically the same age gap that. I mean, it's not Daniel Craig, but Roger Moore had with at least one of the Bond girls. Like, he was older than her mother. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, you know, on the other... Like, the, people lost their minds because in um, Spectre, James Bond, Daniel Craig hooked up with Monica Bellucci. Because she was a woman in, like, her fif- early 50s. <laughs> it's like, my God, what a progressive man James Bond Still very glamorous, now. though. Still very wonderful. Still willing to shag one of the most beautiful women that's ever <laughs> existed. Over the age of 50! Oh my god, James, you're a fucking pervert. Why don't you bang that 20-year-old? She's perky. We're we're plowing through now. I've only got a few notes left. There is a lot of plowing going on right now. Yeah, one other line that threw me in this scene was, um, I thought nobody would ever touch me again, apart from The Undertaker. Great pillow talk. Just (laughs) astoundingly sexy. Yeah, I, the, I will say though, uh, and I will give the film credit because I was a bit annoyed because, like you say, it was it was him fingering her under a duvet, and that's all that you were seeing. It was fairly chaste still, where there was no exposed parts. It was, and I was like, you know what? If you're gonna be all like, oh, look at us breaking social taboo and showing older women as sexual beings, I was like, yeah, I want to see from behind Rogerin <laughs> if you're gonna be that committed to it. I want to see. Flapping tits in the wind. Yeah, I. And we see them later on. I'll give them credit. The fingering for me was more graphic than, from from a, a purely artistic camera sense. He should have been going. He should have been going down on her. The the fingering was was way more graphic than. Uh, yeah. To be fair, I mean, there's a lost art to fingering. <laughs> It's it's not as popular as it used to be. Yeah, why it, is it, that? Because I was good at it. You know <laughs> what? It was one of my skills. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, good admin skills, organization, good at fingering. <laughs> Let's cut to after the sex, because you know that's the best part of the sex is after it. Um, <laughs> Anne Reed uh, decides to wash her face in more symbolism because you know. She's wet. Uh, <laughs> well, she, yeah, that. I was wondering: is it a sense of renewal, or is it meant to imply Sploosh. Daniel's found <laughs> Daniel's relieved things that haven't been relieved? I'm, for a long, I'm, I'm going to suggest sploosh. <laughs> and again, more fucking angled mirror shots. Uh, the, I mean, the director Roger Mitchell just fucking loves them. I find we cut it back again to the the mother and the daughter arguing. Um. And, you know, Daniel Craig has come for tea, so, you know, awkward. Essentially, we get more scenes of Anne Reed and Daniel Craig having a bit of the sex. Uh, it looks like he's massaging her back quite aggressively. Yeah, 
He's like, you're really needing her back. <laughs> yeah, we, we do get the scene of, of basically, he's he's hanging out at back doors. And... Oh, I mean, the call, the call went away there for a second, and that's what I come back to. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> I like the idea, because obviously she's been married for a long time. It's like, what the hell have you lot been discovering? <laughs> <laughs> they they continue their, their sexual odysseys a bit, whilst having... Whilst she's basically discovering herself and hating her own children and during a discussion about finances uh, the daughter uncovers her mother's sketch pad and what should be oh my what God. should be in the sketch pad but the most crudely drawn erotic pictures you've ever seen in your yeah, entire they, life they may as well have been stick stick people they exactly and I couldn't draw it much better good I've I was wondering at first if what horrified her was how bad her mum was at drawing mm. But no, I don't want to say leaping to conclusions, but I was reminded of that Simpsons bit when Marge is pregnant and Homer's walking home and everyone's going, heard about your bundle of joy? Yes, the bundle is small, but it is a joy at my new job. (laughs) What great news? Yes, my new employment status is great news. Hey, Homer, way to get Marge pregnant. It's a little abstract, but thank you. I do like my new job. And then they get back. Congratulations on the new job, Homer. New job? Marge is pregnant! <laughs> ah! It's like that level of logic. My mom's drawn a stick figure getting his dick sucked. <laughs> he is therefore shagging my boyfriend. Yeah, and the phrase she uses... Is that, which, is that uh, James literally... Bond? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the bloke from Layer Cake, isn't it? <laughs> And anyway, the the line that the daughter uses when she discovers this is, she's having him. Like, who says that? That was quite nineties though. This is like what early two thousands. Yeah, I can see that. Two thousand three. I imagine middle class people define a lot of things by what they have. Oh, they are I very. Have him, I have that. I'm having that. I'm having this. <laughs> the trips in Waitrose are really terrible. I'm having all of these. I'm having those. I don't want that. That's your son. Oh, fuck. I keep forgetting it. Uh, <laughs> you, bin now. As a proud middle-class person. Um, <laughs> Please. We don't, talk, we don't talk like that, thank you. Please. You're from Suffolk. To Londoners, you might as well be a Jordan. I'm sorry. I live, I live in a house on my own. and got a mortgage. You know. In, in Sutton, in, uh, well, no, I'm not saying where I live. That's aspirational working at best. Well, there's no way I'm aspirational working. Have you seen my hands? Not a day's hard graft in life. <laughs> but, but Michael, when we are kings, you'll be like seventh or eighth against the wall. So you've got a bit of time. <laughs> I'm feeling more, you know, tenth. But we're, all say, we're all saying, you know, how we're getting on and we're in our 30s and stuff. None of us have the energy to start a revolution. Shut all this nonsense off. Oh, Christ, no. <laughs> when I'm king. Yeah, right. I struggle waking up in the morning, let alone starting a fucking revolt. <laughs> so let me stay in my middle class palace, please. No, no, you must die like the rest of us. You. Sp- well, we're going to die. I'll just be dying in more luxury. Anywho. So the kids have now discovered somehow that uh, the mum's having an affair with Daniel Craig. <laughs> I just love them confronting her. Look at this in- <laughs> indisputable evidence. Yeah, oh, but in- it's a fair cop. Instead of instead of confronting <laughs> the situation head on, the daughter plays mind games with her own mother because they're all terrible fucking people. London. <laughs> so she insists uh, that her mum and her double date with Daniel Craig and the old fella Bruce from earlier. 
Yeah. Lovely Bruce, leading uh, to, to a lot of mind games being played between the daughter and the mum. Basically pouring over Daniel Craig because she can't touch him. La 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 la, this is my boyfriend. Stop touching my boyfriend! Even though he's married to somebody else. Yeah, she really doesn't have a leg to stand on. Both in her, both in her prosecution evidence. Exactly. It's like, you can't take the moral high ground when you're shagging a married man as well. <laughs> it just happens to be the same married man, yes, but what of it? Where do you get your crazy ideas from? You, you bastard! <laughs> After some gentle pressuring, the mum ends back at the... Uh, Ends back at Bruce's house and they have oh, man. Uh, terrible sex. And I've never, <laughs> I've never been more disgusted by another person's vinegar strokes. Is that because in, in the back of your head you were thinking, yeah, that's probably what I look like. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> same, same. I was thinking, oh god, these poor women. <laughs> I'm literally looking into my future. Yeah. Oh fuck, future now. <laughs> <laughs> His technique does seem to be a horrible mashup of grunting, swaying, and, and crying, and apologising as well. Oh, then that's absolutely me. Yeah, I think you preemptively apologise. Look, I'm going to apologise at the end, but right now I'm going to make it clear: you can't quite grasp yet how much I'm going to have to apologise. You know how, like in football, they have a pre- they have a few preseason friendlies before the kickoff. <laughs> That's what I need. Because <laughs> this goes to get the ring rust off. This is going to be dreadful, you know. So eventually, the mother goes back after having the terrible sex to go see her daughter. Uh, it turns out that Daniel Craig has agreed to move in with the daughter, and the mother now has to leave. And whilst the mother is, you know, getting ready to leave, and she's having the the, the last kip she's going to have at her daughter's house. She finds her daughter setting all of her work on fire in the garden because she's fucking insane. We then go and find that the son is basically saying that the mother can't stay there and they have to basically send her back to her house where she belonged in the first place. Although, because of typical London yuppie cash flow, he says, uh, he, instead of um, saying you can stay with the family, he offered grief counselling to her response being, is that what people do instead of taking an interest in their family? No one can take the moral high ground in this. <laughs> exactly. No, everyone just seems to think like, oh, uh, I deserve more than this. No, you don't. You're all terrible people. You deserve misery. There was that line at the start uh, where the daughter said she was having therapy and the mum said, why don't you just talk to your hairdresser like everybody else? <laughs> yeah. That's that's the most mumsy response to things I could have imagined. And the most uh, middle 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 two thousands uh, view on therapy. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Daniel Craig uh, then suddenly turns up pissed with some daytime Mackies because lads. Also, for a man who's uh, previously said in the film that he he can't go down the pub for fear of running into people that he owes money to, he somehow has money for coke and Mackies and is happy to walk around in the daytime. Doesn't quite add up. Yeah, because they're trying to get to the end of the film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so are we. <laughs> yeah, uh, Daniel Craig's character Snoke's walk, uh, coke off his workbench like a proper labourer. Can I say he's done no work? <laughs> he's done very been... minimal things. <laughs> he hasn't done a single bit of work. Well, he does smash some windows at this point, doesn't he? But then we see him working on it again. Yeah, I like to imagine like he's coming and gone. How many times does this happen now? <laughs> Four times. Do I have to call okay. the blazer again? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> are you gonna stop? Are you going to stop screaming Bandersnatch every time you get high? No. 
<laughs> yeah, so he tries to convince, whilst he's high on coke, he tries to convince the mother to suck him off in the conservatory. Because if you can't take pride in your work... <laughs> <laughs> That's a new version of Cluedo. Yeah. <laughs> I believe. Earlier in the film, after they had sex, Anne Reed basically said that she'd take Daniel Craig away from all this. Just, you know, click your fingers and you can run away. So he basically begs her for money. She says, well, I will buy you a ticket. And the phrase, how much money have you got shoved in your knickers? Comes up. It's so weird. Like, the, the emotional mood swings that Daniel Craig goes through in this epi- in this scene are ridiculous. Even goes so far as to call the mother Paula, the daughter's name, which makes me believe he fluffed the line, they ran with it, <laughs> and that was the best take. That could be true. <laughs> we yeah. did 87 takes, and that was the best one. <laughs> yeah, so as you say, he flips out, smashes the conservatory up, which, you know, he's going to have to fix up for free. Um, we get more horrible cameras and editing, because then the mother goes into the kitchen drawer, pulls out a knife, and is going to kill herself. Yeah, I was like, this is a sudden turn. Yeah. Proper, like, it's probably like, what's it called? Harry Carey? Is that the term? The, the samurai... Way oh god, it, yeah. Like, in thrust. <laughs> just just a real out of nowhere jarry moment. She's just sat there on the sofa with this knife pressed up against her stomach. And the daughter comes in. And the, the only thing that stopped her was her daughter interrupting. And she didn't say, hey, what are you doing with that knife? She just sits down and goes, right, we need to have a word. <laughs> and then one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen in a film. Where the daughter says, I think I would like to hit you. It's almost exactly the dialogue from that office episode where Pam gets to punch Michael. <laughs> so coincidentally, that was about mummy shagging as well. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe someone has watched. I'm gonna have to find out now when that episode of Office Ladies comes up in the podcast. Oh, well, this was inspired <laughs> by a little-known British film starring Daniel Craig. <laughs> anyway, the the mother agrees to let that happen and lets her daughter literally smack her in the fucking face. Oh, yeah, but when Brad Pitt does it, it's cool. The mother and the daughter turn up at the son's house. The son and Daniel Craig are fixing the conservatory. That Daniel Craig broke because he's a ballad. We see the mother with a black eye and her bag's packed. And the only person that seems to be even slightly concerned is the daughter-in-law, who so far throughout the film seems like she couldn't have given a flying shit about her mother-in-law. I do like the idea that, like, throughout all these scenes that we've had with Daniel Craig and and uh, the mother, that throughout it all, like, want like her grandkids and her daughter-in-law have been there. We've just never noticed. <laughs> yeah. We go, God, you've lot have been up to some crazy shit, haven't you? <laughs> there was, I mean, in the start of the film, there was like a Polish au pair or cleaner who we never see again. <laughs> the, the character's never explained. It's never fleshed out. Could have been an interesting thing to. To have the, the the Polish employee going, uh, you know, you know, getting involved with everything, but no. And it turns out the mum's decided to go home, and, you know, because everyone hates her. <laughs> and she slowly shuffles off, and the camera pans across the people whose lives she's ruined to the tune of Clint Eastwood by Gorillaz. Because, yeah, that was an odd. Because this is 2003, and God damn it, you will listen to the Gorillas. That was Radio One's slogan at the time, wasn't it? <laughs> no, no, the slogan at the time was "This is Radio One. Here's the Kooks." <laughs> yeah, this is Radio One. That's Put a, your straw hat on. We're gonna have some fun. 
Um, Half of all kook songs just started with them like eating something a bit too big and trying to get it out. (laughs) (laughs) This is observational humour from 16 years ago, everybody. (laughs) And the rest. Uh, The film basically ends with uh, the the mother looking at the slippers of her dead husband yet again as if he stood in them and decides uh, to finally pack her bags like she always wanted to and just walks off into the sunset. To a fine train station like Birmingham New Streets. <laughs> See how it really should and be. And hopefully, some lovely bloke with a burger bar may take her high. Ah, <laughs> take her what? No. <laughs> um, the that, end. That basically is the mother. Um, before we finish, and uh, before we go into any sort of opinions or whatnot, a few facts I thought I'd like to share with you. There's only a, a couple of facts. The only reason I think that they didn't use any lighting rigs of any sort is because they wanted to keep the budget low and it would have required a generator to run, so they just decided not to do that. (laughs) Because then they'd have to redouble the audio, which is pretty shit to begin with. And this is also the first feature film that's funded entirely by the BBC, courtesy of British taxpayers. I want my money back! Yeah. Yeah. Can we get it back paid? Because it's interesting <laughs> yeah. quite good over 20 years or whatever it's been. I, I, mean, I was only 13 at the time. I wasn't technically paying tax, but, you know, I feel like I'm owed. Was I? No, <laughs> oh, no, not quite. Not quite. Ah, uh, almost. almost. A year out, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that... That's an interesting first choice. I'll give them that much. So, that is the mother. What did we think? What did we feel? I was worried that I was going to be in, like, heated disagreement with you because I thought for the first 10-20 minutes it's just sort of your standard serious British drama film and they're usually quite good you know I've seen films that are of this sort of pace and this sort of um, milieu you know Joanna Hogg very much works in this sort of area but she makes good films Um, (laughs) but it was just it was just like I said it felt like a short film stretched over a feature there was not enough to keep this film going there's long pauses it repeats itself, and the acting is just not good enough across the board. I think Daniel Craig is doing some good stuff. I think Anne Reed's doing some good stuff. But the writing... I, I, it shocked me how good the writer was, like how much other good stuff the writer's done. And the director has done some... Like, he was worked for the Royal Shakespeare Company for years. And oh, yeah. They, they Notting Hill. There's genuinely a really great pre- pedigree of filmmakers that have been in these productions, and it just it just didn't click at all in this production. I mean, you have Anne Reed, an actress who's been in countless things. She's a, a, one of those faces you instantly recognise on British televisions. It, it just felt flat it felt wrong i think it's an interesting area to explore conceptually it is not something we see a lot like an older older people in general the the first 10 15 minutes where she's meeting an uninterested children and uninterested grandkids i was like okay i can see where they're going with this and this could be fun exploring something that doesn't get explored enough really how we treat our older older relatives at times especially when they're a nuisance to us if we're some high-flying you know city living middle-class tosser but it just isn't compelling enough in in how it tells its story or or how it goes with its characters. And I don't think they give Anne Reed enough to do. They don't give her enough work other than look at things, like you said. Yeah, it's it's literally just gaze out of a window and cut, print, lovely. 
art house drama 101 yeah and and you need more than that especially if you're going to do something as theoretically daring as this is trying to be and like i said i'll give them credit we you know we see sexual scenes that you know are not what people would expect to see you know when daniel craig's usually having sex with women there's a different kind of uh, setup and presentation and it's not usually daniel craig that's the younger person um but it's just not it's just not there it's like really rough first draft of what could have worked conceptually but they didn't go anywhere with it and like i say just way too many wild swings in the plot suddenly like the reasoning for her realizing her mom's having an affair is absolute like it's it's save martha levels of ridiculous <laughs> plot twists yeah you know yeah it's not just shitty comic book adaptations that can do dumb plot twists. I just I find it hard to enjoy a film where I can't like or appreciate any of the characters. I can do that. I can do that, but they have to be interesting. But they weren't interesting. Yeah, the daughter's character was just so fucking like too extreme swinging back and forth the entire time. It was hard to really engage with a character like that. You just feel yeah. kind of put out almost and then they could have done interesting stuff with daniel craig's character i like the idea that everyone in this family essentially feels like they possess this guy but the problem was that they had daniel craig's character also be quite middle class if daniel craig's character had been a proper rough cockney working class lad but instead he's like a middle class dropout that does handiwork because he can't he can't get his life yeah together. if he'd have channeled some they... of his our friends from our friends of the north yeah it could have been a different matter yeah Doing it with someone like, um, what's his name? Uh, Jack O'Connell sort of character. Sort of, you know, a proper rough working class that, that could really throw a spanner in the works. Because they all, they all want to possess him. You know, the guy, his best friend wants him to keep working for him. His, you know, the other girl wants to possess him. Amri wants to, to take him on, but also doesn't trust him. And wants to control him, you know, he won't give her money. She won't give him money. She'll give him a ticket. Like it's almost being motherly, and um, but Daniel Craig's trying to get stuff out of them as well. But again, there's just no consistency in it. You know, there's no, there's nothing to to cling on to emotionally because you can't quite get anyone's motivations beyond what they're trying to obviously state about you know middle class people being tossers. But you know, that's pretty much all art house films that come from this country: middle class people watching films about middle class people revealing that they're all tossers and going, "Yes, other middle class people are tossers." Thank God I can see that. It's <laughs> what I will say is that there are other things that both the writer and the director have done that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Like Enduring Love was Roger Mitchell's film after this, and that is a great fucking film. And that was really the one that and Lair Cake were the ones that made Daniel Craig. It is interesting to see that Daniel Craig was always in extremely good physical condition. It wasn't. This wasn't like a Chris Pratt and Guardians of the Galaxy sudden transformation when he did Casino Royale. Yeah. The the molding clay was already in place. Yeah, know? he already had that sort of within him, and it's. I mean, sort of Marlon Brando. Yeah, I guess that's what they're going for, really, weren't they? Marlon Brando in a streetcar named Desire. I suppose. Sort of yeah. Uh, Mike, any yeah. opinion? Uh, it was long, boring, dreary, and none of the characters were likable. And it wasn't a film. It was not a film. It wasn't. Yeah. Michael's continued quest to find a film. <laughs> I found one. I think it was just boring. It was just overly stereotypical British, and there was all the oh 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 sorry, oh, lots of um, oh, what's going on here? It's just like ugh, ugh, ugh. 
it's it's a harder genre for us to make fun of it in a funny way. That's why we had so many diversions. Yeah. I mean, they gave us some material, like I said, with the like exhibit A, dick sucking, <laughs> <laughs> dick sucking on a grey morn. <laughs> I call, I call, I call I, this one fellating in a field. I call, I call this, this piece <laughs> cock in mouth. <laughs> <laughs> As you can see, it's about a woman who has a cock. In her mouth. I will start the bidding at one million dollars. Where did you get the inspiration? Well, I was taking a walk through the village. Cockabout. <laughs> <laughs> I genuinely think this tale could have been told better in almost like a theatre setting. I think the heightened dialogue would be more acceptable. Yeah, if you were to get like a couple of different actors maybe to try some of the roles and you could it could have explained it so much better it could have been delivered so much better i think they should have gone one step further and made it a love quadrangle that the the man that the son is also in love with him you know what i i the amount of uh homoeroticism between the the uh oh god what's the actor's name i know you but he's one of those actors been in tons it, of i stuff. keep recognizing him as winston from lockstock yeah, I knew him actually. He was Nigel in the Adrian Mole adaptation. Oh. That was a that was a that was a good one. But yeah, um, realizing that was him. He he just keeps there's almost like because he's always gets up close to Daniel Craig. He always almost like he's leaning in for a kiss every time he speaks to him, and it feels like there could have been something a little bit hidden there, which they didn't really talk about, which could have actually really heightened the story. But again, yeah. it it fell by the wayside because for whatever reason, it just didn't didn't really gel, didn't really work, and some of it was just some of it was just. It feels like a shitty first draft. Yeah, yeah. And then it was just like, oh shit, we're filming tomorrow. Okay. It almost yeah, it almost feels as if they were told. By the way, the BBC's got a lot of funding for this. There's like two and a half million pounds in the budget. Uh, we start filming Friday. Friday. Fuck! I've not even written the last scene. So this costs two million quid. Yeah. Two and a half million, yeah. Right, I want to see their accounts, please, because there's no way this costs two million quid. It was just for that house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it made it back eventually three million. But yeah, this is the guy who wrote My Beautiful Laundrette, The Buddha of Suburbia. Yeah. How? 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 <laughs> how did you make this as well? And also, what we're gonna do for Dwadwad? So shall okay, we move well, on to that? Before or? we do that, uh, let's first of all say something nice about the film. Each. Uh, does anyone want to go first? Uh, let's let Michael go. Michael, first. say something nice about the film. Uh, um, um, it was nice to see the dinner ladies person in something else that isn't dinner ladies. Although all I want to see her in is dinner ladies. So I don't. Know. Yeah. She was quite good. She was good actually. See, so, yeah, she was the best. She was the best thing in the film. I will go with. I thought the first twenty minutes or so did a good story of conveying how daunting London can appeal to other to people just visiting it. And also how easily older people can be ignored by others. And then it just squandered it for the rest of the film. I'm going to go with, I admired the dedication to using as much natural lighting as possible. Um, mm. Sort of give it almost a Dogma 95 vibe. But at the same time, I understand that with a little bit extra budget, it could have been edited sound-wise a lot better. But that's a minor gripe. Uh, so, or do we want to say how we'd make this better, or is that kind of covered? Oh, I think we already covered that. Just make it a play. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there we go. Sums it up well. Now it's time for. Hey you! Don't watch that. Watch this. 
I'll just quickly mention the runner-up suggestion that I had. If you want to see a good film that involves old lady, old people shagging. There's plenty on Pornhub. <laughs> I'll take your word for that. Just put in Mature, you'll be fine. But there was a really good film that came out a few years ago, directed by the same guy who did Weekend, the film about uh, gay love in Nottingham, and then went on to do Looking on HBO. Uh, this was the film he made, uh, De- Andrew Hay his name is, and it stars Charlotte Rampling and Tom Courtney, and it's called 45 Years, which is about a couple about to celebrate their 45th anniversary when they find out something from her, from the husband's past that puts their whole life together in a different perspective. So that's a really good film, but Thomas came up with a much better Dwadwad suggestion. So take it away, Tom. Obviously the film, The Mother, has been made by Roger Mitchell, uh, written by... I'm going to really butcher the name, Hanif Qureshi. It turns out these two ended up making another film three years later called Venus, starring Peter O'Toole and uh, I think, I want to say Leslie Phillips. Let me... Yes. Yes. And and Jodie Whittaker. And genuinely a really heartwarming production. It was was Mm. lovely. It was... That really tapped into old people feeling... Almost like they don't want to grow old and trying to fight away from from the aging. Yeah, it was my introduction to Jodie Whittaker. I think it might have been her first big role, and now obviously she's Doctor Who. Yeah. Um probably Pedro Tool's last great performance. I think he got nominated yeah. for an it was, Oscar. It was for the it. one where everyone was saying he should finally win the fucking Oscar for best actor because mm. he, he. Well, I think he'd literally had the Lifetime Achievement Award a few years earlier. Yeah. And you know what? One of the great actors that really... I mean, such an amazing long-span career. To end his career with a film like that was just absolutely wonderful. Really well-written, really well-executed from, uh, thematically. Following very similar thematic beats, like you say, uh, a relationship between an older person and a younger person. And what I like as well is that whilst it's not as sexual... Well, it's not sexual. No. It doesn't hide his sexual attraction to her... And her need to resist it, but also that there is something that they both get from them, their relationship emotionally, way more than Daniel Craig and and Anne Reed get in in the mother. It seems like that was a dry run, and this was yeah. the actual put in a better, you know, a better second draft. Yeah, it, on, it, on it, it delivered a lot better. And if if you're gonna watch any film by Roger Mitchell, I highly recommend The Venus, and definitely not The Mother. Yeah. Um, I, I, unless anyone else has anything else to add, gentlemen? Yeah, nothing for me. Michael? Uh, I was just going to plug uh, a friend's podcast that's also about films. Oh, please do. Okay. Uh, friends of the show, Adam Hawker and his friend Pearl, have just started a uh, podcast about films that is called uh, Cine Literate. And I listened to the first episode today and uh, really enjoyed it. So, yeah. There we go, Literate. I have recorded an episode with Adam for my new film podcast, which will be out releasing episodes by the time this comes out. So by all means, check out my podcast as well about films. But it's not always positive, but definitely not in this form. It's a proper, not proper, that implies this is improper. It's uh, It hasn't got me in it. <laughs> It might in the future. You're welcome if you find a film that you want to talk about. Once you can discover a film that's actually a film... It's called 21st Films, where I discuss uh, with a different guest each time a film that came out 21 years earlier. I do have Tom booked for Oh Brother Where Art Thou, so Michael, there's always space for you if you ever discover a film. (laughs) And then we can talk about that one film. (laughs) 
Uh, whilst we're also doing plugs, uh, again, as I said, I was recommended this film by someone who's listened to the podcast and a friend. So please, on Instagram, go and follow Sarah Verbliss. She's an illustrator and she does some fantastic work. Um, she's actually, she's even done paintings of uh, the Electric Cinema in Birmingham and the old Royalty Cinema in Harborn. And they're very lovely, and I'd highly recommend you uh, uh, direct message her for any commissions you may have of any art you are wanting. Was it the use of art as evidence of um, that really put her off it? Well, funny thing is, uh, for my thirty-first for my thirty-first birthday, she she drew me her own. She drew me a card for for my birthday, and inside she'd written a note. And as I opened it up, it turned out to be her interpretation of one of the the blowjob drawings. <laughs> It's just the words "Happy Birthday" written underneath. I'm like, you fucking diamond. This is this is war worthy. This is staying up on the wall. You better you better burn that thing before your girlfriend finds out. I don't out. know. She'll Shit. dump your ass. Like, Robin was right there with me. We all laughed. It's fine. Um, so yeah, now I've got a piece of of mother artwork just sat in my bedroom waiting to be framed. So yes, uh, go uh, and find Sarah Verbliss on Instagram for all your. Uh, Art commission needs. How are you spelling that surname? Uh, v e r b l i s. Sarah Verbliss. And could, is there any chance we could like uh, on the the episode's description if we could put like a link to her Instagram page? Would that be possible? If I remember, I will do so. And if if I don't remember, remind me, and then I'll edit the description. Will do. Wonderful. Thank you. If you want to get in touch with us with more recommendations like Sarah gave, and you don't have the good fortune of being able to send us birthday cards with. <laughs> disgusting drawings in them then by all means drop us an email at bowobpodcast at gmail.com or following us on bowobpod on twitter or facebook you can follow me personally at Lorcan Mullen that's L-O-R-C-A-N-M-U-L-L-A for an N N for nude that's my twitter handle instagram facebook letterboxd if you put in at gmail.com at the end of it that's my email address gentlemen where are your plugs I, I'm I'm giving up. I've given up the internet, so I haven't got anything to plug. So. But you just reviewed a bench from the wire the other day. <laughs> oh yeah, we'll do bench spotting. That's about the only thing. Yeah, I'm plug bench spotting. Yeah, yeah uh, yes, uh, I review benches. Um, uh, it's too long to go into it. Why? Why I do that? But yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> uh, check We've it out. A whole bloody episode on our podcast feed of why you <laughs> pandemics are it. hard. Uh, if you'd like to follow that, I think they're lighthearted and fun. I think they're all right. Uh, always want to send me a bench uh, to review. I'm happy with that. Uh, the best place to get there is uh, bench underscore spotting on Instagram. Uh, it's the same on Facebook, but I'm not really using Facebook at the moment. So, yeah, hit me up on bench underscore spotting if you'd like to read the reviews or send me a review or a bench to review. Thank you. And uh, if you want to get in touch with me, why wouldn't you? It's Tom Hodkinson, also at Tom Hodkinson on any of the socials. Uh, don't forget to put an H in Hodkinson. Uh, that's H for hands, which is what Daniel Craig used to finger the mother. <laughs> it will be Michael hosting our next episode. And one Hi. thing we realised as we were doing it was that we've done a loose trilogy in every other episode of films from 1973. We started with Tom talking about uh, Holiday on the Buses. Then we followed up with me talking about Take Me High. Well, this time it's Michael's turn, but Michael's not really aware of films from this year, let alone 1973. But it's not a film! So I got to pick it. Oh, well, that's... that. I mean, if your search for films needs to go any further than the dystopian future world of Zardoz might be a perfect stopping point because I cannot wait to hear Michael 
describe what happens in Zardoz. Uh, that will be our. Uh... Does it meet my uh, requirements for taking the notes and leading the episode of the film being under an hour and thirty? <laughs> Uh, I don't think it's under an hour and 30, it. but right. it does involve Sean Connery in a nappy. Okay. So that should supersede any other rules that you have. Uh, <laughs> but uh. do not let him... <laughs> so, uh, how long is it? Oh, it's actually saying it's 1974 here, but I've heard it's a 73 release, and fuck it. It's one hour 45, but when you factor in credits, then you all should right, be... Right. Yeah, I'll take it. Uh, if it's... Yeah, that's... that's Watch it at 1.25 speed. Yeah. Oh, I will, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, um, so, as as you've just been listening, we have reviewed a film that was made with uh, a two and a half million pound budget by professional filmmakers and actors on the budget of the British Broadcasting Company. They put a lot of hard work and effort into making the film, and we've just trashed it for the last so many minutes. This week, on more than one occasion, I've struggled to put my leg through my trouser leg. <laughs> We're all proud. We're all proud of you, Tom. I love that. I, I love the idea that you might have seen that classic. Hey, I'm just a regular guy like you. I put my trousers on a leg at a time. A leg at a time. <laughs> Look at you, fancy walking man. <laughs> you see, in my head, I know you said it was over a couple, of, over a few days. In my head, it was just a once, the same time. It's like, come on, why can't I get this right? No, no, there was there was one occasion where it took multiple attempts. <laughs> right, okay, I've got one leg in. There's one leg spare, and I've got this leg. Now how's the hokey cokey go? I can't remember. <laughs> I've only got so long before I have to phone in work. <laughs> <laughs> I, I suppose I could. I suppose I could half trousers. I don't know. I've only so long before I could come up, call into work, and they said this excuse didn't fly the last time. <laughs> wait until, they just wait until life to try and put on my shoes. They're rude for some fucking trouble. Bye. Bye.